What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English. I greatly appreciate everyone who's been tuning in for these podcasts, as well as tuning in for my live sessions on Instagram. If you haven't done so already, please go ahead and give me a follow at English Encore Podcast, all one word, on Instagram. You can go back and click the IGTV section in the middle and watch all of my previous live streams with people that I've had on. I'm excited to announce on Wednesday, which I announced yesterday on my podcast page, that I'll be joined by former Cortland track and field coach Tyler Hockadale on Wednesday night at 5 p.m. I'll be talking to him, you know, about strength and conditioning, working with athletes, how athletes are going to be able to deal with, you know, everything going on with COVID, the protocols, being able to do things at home on their own, working out um, when they can't necessarily get to a facility. So it's going to be a great uh, interview with him. So be sure to tune in for that. Today, I'm going to be talking about the big news coming from the Bills organization over the past week with the signings of Sean McDermott and Deion Dawkins to extensions. Then be talking about players that are next in line for the Bills to get paid and who they will likely be. I will then go through the Sabres jerseys, um, which they dropped on Tuesday. Back to the Royal Blue, I'm going to go through and rank 10 Sabres jerseys over the course of their history from my least favorite to my favorite. And then finally, I'm going to be talking about the Toronto Blue Jays finally playing in Buffalo. They've played five games here so far and kind of just talk about that whole process, the fans you know, getting really amped up for that in the games itself. So starting off with the Buffalo Bills, they signed head coach Sean McDermott to a six-year extension through 2025. In his career so far, Sean McDermott has a 25-23 and record as a head coach, including two playoff appearances where he is 0-2. After the 2020 season, McDermott will be the longest tenured coach uh, for the Bills since Marv Levy, Dick Geron, Reached his fourth season with Buffalo, but was fired midway through the 2009 season. So it's really good for the Bills from the standpoint of, since we've had Dick Geron in 2009, he really wasn't even that great of a coach to begin with. But since then, we've kind of just going through coaching change after coaching change, a couple different GMs. So it's really nice to finally have some stability. Um, I was a bit shocked at first with the 2025 for the season, the extension six years. I had talked about about a month ago, on a previous episode that I thought they should extend him for two to three years, reevaluate, see how he does in the playoffs, that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, the way Sean McDermott has built this roster up, he's built the culture. The players love playing for him. He's a no-nonsense type guy, doesn't tolerate any BS. He holds his players and himself and all the other people around him, including the GM and the owners, accountable for the team's actions on and off the field. Um, so I'm pretty happy with him staying around for that amount of time. You could show that the Bills are finally almost back in the position like they were in the 90s, you know, when they had Kelly and Reed and all of them, where they have stability. They want to build something special here in Buffalo. They want to keep this same core group of guys together who they think can lead us to a Super Bowl for the first time. Um, the real thing, like I kind of touched on a few seconds ago, was the big thing for me now is I think Sean McDermott's widely recognized as one of the best head coaches in the NFL. And I know that 25-23 and 23 record might not, you know, say a whole lot, but you have to look at it from the standpoint of when he first came in, 
They went 9-7 and and made the playoffs in a season where they really didn't have an option other than to go back with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, which I was fine with because I really like Tyrod. Um, he's a very good, capable NFL starter and can win you games. He's not going to turn the ball over, and which plays right in the McDermott system of playing good defense, kind of just control the ball um, and win that way. They make a surprise playoff appearance. Then they get rid of Tyrod. They draft Josh Allen. You know they're going to have to develop him for the year. In a year, the Bills still went 6-10 and where Allen got hurt and you had to play Matt Barkley and Derek Anderson and Nate Peterman in other games where the Bills honestly could have went 8-8 eight and eight that year had Josh Allen not gotten hurt. So his record is a little bit better than I think people give him credit for. Not to mention Week 17 last year, the Bills had already locked up their playoff spot so they just played all their backups and third stringers against the Jets in a game we easily could have won. And as I mentioned, he's widely respected by his peers around the NFL. You look at the media, you talk about good morning football, NFL Network, they always praise how good of a coach Sean McDermott is. Even on a show like ESPN First Take, Lewis Riddick had talked about how disciplined Sean McDermott is, how much he cares about his players like they're his own family. So it's really great to see. Um, the next big signing for the Bills was Deion Dawkins. They signed him to a four-year, $60 million extension through this 2024 season. Over three years, Dawkins has started 43 games. He was a team captain last year. Um, you know, the big thing for me in this move is you're rewarding a player that you drafted. You can tell Dawkins has always wanted to be here. He rededicated himself last year after having a kind of a down year in his second year and really proved himself being a great guy in that locker room. And the other big thing, when you're developing a young quarterback like Josh Allen, the best thing you can do for him is protect his blind side. So you have that in signing Dawkins in one of the most tough positions to play in the NFL because you're going up, you know, against the Von Millers of the world, you know, Aaron Donald sometimes, Khalil Mack, um, all these really tough matchups. And Dawkins has done an excellent job over the past year and a half or so. But the continuity on the offensive line is huge because when you constantly are moving guys in and out, you're, you know, the offensive line has to get used to Josh's cadence when he's snapping the ball. Um, Josh has to know how certain linemen move, when he can step up, when he scrambles out, things of that nature. Well, now with Dawkins signed through 2024, you have him locked in through then. You have Mitch Morse through 2023. Quentin Spain, who just gave a new deal through 2023, and then you have Cody Ford on his rookie deal through 2023. And that doesn't even mention the other guys like Daryl Williams and Feliciano, who you have signed through the 2021 season as well. So you have all these guys that are going to be consistent on the offensive line for Josh, and that's only going to help in his development. So with these few signings, it's clear the Bills are taking care of their players. So that begs the question, which players are up next? So looking at the four people who I believe are up next for a deal, you have Matt Milano, who's going to be a free agent after the season, the linebacker for the Bills. You have Tredavious White, the cornerback. Then you have Stephon Diggs, who's probably going to be seeking um, more money than he has now on a current deal. So not really potentially an extension for him, but maybe a restructure. And then Brandon Bean, the GM, has to be another one. Um, with Brandon Bean, I think it's pretty obvious that they're going to want to keep him when you're giving out contracts to Dawkins, McDermott, you can show that you're building something special. And I would be surprised um, if they don't sign him to the same exact length as McDermott, keep those two together for that period of time. I think that move will be happening very shortly. Um, Travis White's interesting because he opted in, which I talked about last Monday, 
he did get his fifth year option picked up by the Bills, so he's actually signed through next season. So you have a little bit more time and wiggle room with him in trying to get him signed. I think the sooner the better, because if Travis White has another all-pro year, you're going to have to continue to pay him. And then as far as Stephon Diggs go, they already tweaked his contract a little bit, which they talked about last week on NFL Network. Uh, the Bills increased his 2020 compensation by $3.3 million. They reduced his 2021 cash by 300000 but increased his guaranteed money by $7.7 million. And then they reduced his cash from $25.55 million to $22.67 million for the 2022-2023 season. So it's very clear what Brandon Bean and the Bills are trying to do. They're trying to move cap around because you don't know if the salary cap is going to go down because of COVID this year. Um, they're trying to maneuver it so they can pay guys like Tredavious White, Matt Milano, Allen Edmonds when these guys come up for contracts, but keep them all together and move the money around so you can pay guys differently throughout years and make it all balanced. Um, Matt Milano is the most interesting name to me because he's a free agent, and I think he is the odd man out if for some reason the money does not work. I will stand um, you know, up on pedestal and to continue to beat in everyone's head that the Bills need to bring back Matt Milano. He feeds off of Tremaine Edmonds very well. They're one of the best young linebacking cores in the NFL that no one talks about. He's probably one of the most underappreciated linebackers in the NFL. When you look at his market value according uh, to Track, he's appraised at about $13 million. Um, that's kind of where middle linebacker, or excuse me, outside linebackers are at. This past season, the franchise tag for linebackers in 2020 was $15.828 million, so a little bit more than that. He's played 44 games for the Bills, 33 starts. He's had four interceptions, 18 pass deflections, two forced fumbles, including a fumble recovery for a touchdown, 228 tackles, and two and a half sacks. But what you've seen with Matt Milano is each year he's continued to develop. He's increased his tackles. He's increased his sacks. He's increased his average tackles per game um, every year. He was over 100 tackles this past season, and he missed a few games with injury. Um, he's been relatively healthy throughout the course of his career. And if you can keep Edmonds and Milano together for the next 5 to 10 years, and then that third guy is just going to be a guy they develop, maybe like a Jaquan Johnson, or you just continue to rotate in you know, veteran guys like A.J. Klein, who they signed this offseason from the Saints, you continue to do that, your defensive core is going to be amazing. You already know Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer locked up on the back end for another two to three years together. You know Tredavious White's going to get paid. You have Ed Oliver, Harrison Phillips, you know, Mario Addison. You just drafted Espensa. So you have a lot of great young guys, and I think it's, you know, eminent that they bring back Matt Milano to keep that core group of guys together you already have most of your offensive line set as I mentioned you know Josh is going to get his money in a few years you have Singletary and Moss locked up under their rookie contracts Stephon Diggs is under contract for a while you are going to have to extend you know John Brown and Cole Beasley in a year or two but um, those are things you can talk about in a few years and they did draft Isaiah Hodgins and Gabe Davis to you know be other wide receivers so overall I think the Bills are doing an incredible job managing their money and it's awesome to finally be super excited about having a coach here for a long time and not just rotating guys in and out. So um, really good job by the Bills. Moving on to the Buffalo Sabres. They finally dropped their jerseys for this upcoming year and the return to Royal. And I got to say, these jerseys look incredible. Um, it goes right back to the old days. The Royal Blue just looks so good. Um, 
I'm one of the people that have always said I thought that the white jerseys should be the ones we wear at home, and I'll you know beat the drum on that one again after seeing um what they look like. They look incredible, and I think you know sometimes people don't or don't appreciate jerseys enough. Like jerseys mean a lot to the fans. Like I was joking with my cousin the other day that. You know, the Sabres haven't been the best team on the ice, so if you're going to lose on the ice, you might as well look good doing it. And it just kind of brings that old feel back of, like, being an odd, you know, when the Sabres had Gilbert Perot, Rick Martin, Rennie Robert, all those guys. And, you know, it just gives the Sabres a new, bold look. I think it's a top-five jersey in the league, and it's really cool that in this upcoming season we're going to um, finally get those jerseys back. And just with that... Um, you know, being said, I went through and kind of went through a lot of the old jerseys with the Sabres, and I ranked them 10 to 1. There have been more than 10 jerseys, but I kind of just put a few of them together. Like, when I'm talking about the the past navy blue jersey we wear, that kind of, the white ones with that, you know, go with that category. So I'm going to go through 10 through 1 on Sabres jerseys. Starting off at number 10, I have the 2013 through 15 third jersey the most ugly jersey the Sabres have ever worn, in my opinion. Um, for those who don't remember, it was the one where the jersey on the front was yellow all the way up to the shoulders and then had, like, the Sabres logo in the middle. And on the back of the jersey, it was navy blue. So it was gold in the front, navy blue on the back. It was just disgusting looking. Did not look good in any way. So that's my number 10. Number 9 is the navy blue that they just wore for the past, you know, six to seven years with the white um just the navy doesn't look as good you know everyone's so used to the like more bright blue or the royal blue um the navy blue and the white jerseys just don't you know i don't know it just doesn't fit the buffalo you know team to me um number eight i have the winter classic jerseys from 2008 i wouldn't say those jerseys were bad um those kind of hold some historic value because it's the first winter classic game you know it was at what is used to be Ralph Wilson Stadium and had the white jersey and had it would have looked so much better if they had like the royal blue color but they did the navy and it just didn't look as good um in my opinion number seven I had the Sabres alternates in the mid-2000s when they had the red swords going across and I think that's actually a really cool jersey it's just kind of plain to me like it doesn't pop out um, and it's cool to look at and the swords were kind of a cool thing because that's kind of what the Sabres have always had but um, it wasn't something that really stood out to me even though the jersey itself was red um, number six I had the 2018 winter classic those jerseys were great just because you know that did have the little bit more of the royal blue in it with the white um, so to me that kind of just one up from the winter classic that they had in 2008 um, my fifth jersey it's, I think, one of the most underappreciated jerseys in Sabres history. It was the royal blue with the Buffalo script across it. We only wore it for a year or two. It was our third jersey. Um, I actually had a Tyler Myers jersey of it when it first came out. Um, I had the Buffalo script written across the chest with the sword kind of under it. And we didn't wear it very often. That, I thought, was actually a really cool jersey. Number four, I think people are going to hate me a lot on this one for it. But I went with the slug. And it wasn't because it looked, you know, good or anything like it obviously didn't look great but for me personally like growing up and watching those teams and seeing the slug with Briere, Jury, all those guys for a Sabres person at my age 23 and like pretty much anyone in their teens or 20s 
Like, that jersey was the last time the Sabres were really good. So, like, the slug gives me, like, good memories um, when the Sabres were last good and almost had a chance at winning the Stanley Cup. Um, you know, like I said, they weren't the most best-looking jerseys in the league by any stretch, but, you know, I thought they were kind of funny, and I think you see a lot more of them at games than you'd expect uh, today. Um, third, I had the 50th anniversary ones that we wore this year. Those were just fire. Um, the gold metallic look was just really cool to look at. Um, I hope they keep that as like a third alternate um, to the royal blue and the white that they brought back. Number two, I have the goat head. Another thing which is, you know, not the best looking, but that was when the Sabres, you know, made runs to Stanley Cup with Dominic Hasek. I think when you think about the goat head jersey, Dominic Hasek is one of the first people you think of just because when they debuted the, that new logo, like it kind of looked weird and people didn't really understand it at first, but um, that was kind of the physical Sabres, you know, with Michael Pekka, all those guys. Um, I think it really represented a good chunk of the Sabres history. And then number one, the Royal Blue, you know, starting the history of the Sabres and now redoing it now. Um, I think it just holds so much history that you can't not have it at number one. Um, so that would be my rankings for the Sabres. Like I said, there's a few more jerseys in there that I just like don't, you know, have recollection of. Or, you know, I kind of combine the blue and white ones together. Um, if I went through more, there would probably be like 20 jersey combinations. So those would be my 10. Um, and then finally for today talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. So they finally debuted in Buffalo. They've played five games there. Um, they're actually on the road right now playing Baltimore. But in the five games, they went two and three. Um, their first game in Buffalo, they won on a walk-off to win 5-4. It's the first professional game that's been in Buffalo since 1915. So it's super cool having you know the Blue Jays here. They're showing the videos of how they redid all the hallways, painting it the Toronto Blue um, making it almost seem like the Rogers Center by placing it over the seats. You have all the cool advertisements on the outfield wall that you wouldn't really normally see from a AAA ballpark. You see Nike, you see Adidas, you see all these, you know, cool brands. And I can tell you one thing, it's definitely a hitter-friendly ballpark because both the Blue Jays, Rays, and Marlins were launching baseballs onto the 90 outside of, you know, Salem Field. And it's just also cool from the perspective that a lot of the guys on the Blue Jays, especially that young core, were guys that were Bisons just a few short years ago. You look at the Bo Bichette, the Vlad Guerreros, Loris Gurriel, um, Calvin Biggio, even Pearson to an extent uh, through a few games for Buffalo last year. But um, Bo Bichette, I know he's on the IR right now for 10 days, but um, it's pretty much been the Bo show in Buffalo. He's hit a home run, I believe, in every game in Buffalo so far, or at least four of them. Uh, like I said, it's definitely a hitter's ballpark. Um, I think it's going to help guys like Vladimir Guerrero, um, Bichette, and Biggio especially. Um, and I actually think it could be a good advantage for the Blue Jays just because from this perspective, as I just mentioned, all these guys have been used to playing there, so they know how the field works. Obviously, they've been on the road for so long and then coming back here and now they're out again. Um, I think it's going to take, you know, a few series for them to really get adjusted to the Buffalo ballpark. But so far, I think the Blue Jays have been a little bit underwhelming. I thought they'd be more close to 500 right now. I believe they're 7-12. and 12. But um, I could definitely see them getting it together and making a little run, even potentially slipping into a wild card spot for the playoffs. But either way, it's a really exciting team. They even had fans standing out on the 90 or overlooking the walls on the parking ramp. You know, cops were kind of going out there and saying, hey, you got to move. But 
it's just really cool to see the excitement with baseball back in Buffalo, whether it's, you know, just people from Canada that live in, you know, Buffalo area or somehow they came over here and just are staying over here. But I think a lot of fans are excited to have, you know, professional sports going on just in Buffalo in general because the Bills aren't happening for another four to five weeks. The Sabres, we're probably not going to see them again until 2021 because of, you know, the extended playoffs that are going on right now. And normally this would be draft and scouting and trades and all free agency and stuff like that. But it's really cool to have the Blue Jays here. Um, I wouldn't mind, even if when things hopefully go back to normal, if the Blue Jays could come and play here every once in a while, I think that'd be a cool idea. Um, but yeah, that's going to do it for today's episode. I appreciate everyone for tuning in. I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy out there. As I mentioned beginning of the podcast, please go ahead and give me a follow at English Encore Podcast on Instagram. be doing another giveaway in a few short weeks. Be sure to tune in on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Um, this week. I'll be doing a interview with former Cortland track and field coach Tyler Hockadell. I'm still working on another potential live guest for later in the week from one of the NFL draft sites talking about the Bills draft this year and then previewing next year's draft and how much uncertainty there's going to be with potentially no college football. So stay tuned for that. As always, I appreciate the support. This has been an English Encore podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. Thank you.